Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And unfortunately, it was another disappointing result for Marco Silva's side. Fulham falling victim to a Callum Robinson second half goal, ultimately losing 1-0 at the Hawthorns. And let's be honest, Fulham looked fatigued and perhaps we were travel weary from a schedule that has seen us travel to Swansea, Barnsley and West Brom all in the space of a week. There was just one change for Fulham going in, Nathaniel Chalabret in for Seri, and perhaps the lack of squad rotation has cost us ultimately. And just like West Brom's erstwhile manager, we watched our beloved Fulham go off the boil. I don't think many, fa- I don't think many fans will disagree with the fact that West Brom were thoroughly deserved of their win. And yes, the long international break has come at a very, very good time for us. I said this last week, but it's not all doom and gloom. We're still going up. Chelsea are fucked. <laughs> and we've got a fantastic podcast lined up for you today. So we'll break down all of yesterday's action, or lack thereof, answer some of your emails, and I'm very excited to be back on the buttons for everybody's favourite feature. This will catch on. We've got some absolute belters lined up. I'm George Cooper, and as it's Thursday Club, I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Rutzler. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you, George. How are you doing? Very good intro. Very impressed. I'm not too bad. And Mr. Jack Collins, you all right? Hello, listeners. Hello, George. It's all very... It's all fine, isn't it? It was rubbish, but it's fine. That's my big takeaway. I don't feel that mad about it. It's just we just had a bad night at the office. Were you there? No, I wasn't. My brother was, though. My brother was. Uh, my brother drove up. Um, unfortunately, I was working on the Champions League last night, Peter. So I have to uh, Champions League Tuesdays and Wednesdays are not good for me. Was your brother? Was Tom more? Perturbed? But Tom, Tom drove, and he was just like he just sent me that uh, that gift from Legend with uh, Ronnie Cray walking out, going wasting my time. Um, <laughs> that was, I think, his kind of general reaction to the whole situation. Yeah, who can blame him? Jack, you've been away talking to schools today, haven't you? Is it part of one of those kind of like schemes of cautionary tales? Like this is what yeah. this is what can happen to you kids if you don't stick on the straight and narrow. I went back to my old school, so I've been wandering around Shepherd's Bush, which uh, hopefully we're going to be doing with uh, with better weather in a couple of weeks. But ultimately, we're uh, yeah, it was it was uh, one of those don't do what I did stories. I think <laughs> is, is the key element. Good stuff. Uh, Jack, you've got some three-word reviews, I believe. Would you Would you do the honours, sir? I would love to, George. Um, we'll start with Ivan. Ivan Berry with long throw wankers, which did make me laugh. Um, Sam Eccles, stubborn, silver sunk. Um, Patrick Brown says, if not when, I'm afraid um, I'm going to have to disagree. Uh, Bamba said, running on empty, our favourite, Mr. Soul Bamba. Uh, Coops, I like yours. Rotation, rotation, rotation. So th- th- that was a good one. Um, 
Doug had a scheduled loss. Alistair Nemo with Sporting Integrity Intact, which I enjoyed. Um, Rachel Stevenshaw came up with the same one that I came up with, uh, which was Hawthorne Inside. Uh, Cam Ram, Robinson's shit again. I thought that was pretty brutal. Um, Dave Kidd, where's Joe Bryan? Jacob Krupa with towel thrown in. Matt Wall said not up yet. Brett Rowland said battered by baggies. And Sean Bird, I think, summed it up best for me. International welcome break. Very good. Very good. Uh, Peter, I think it was evident from kickoff that Fulham just weren't at the races at all last night. Peter, you tweeted sort of halfway into first half, Fulham were well off the pace this game, very surprised it's still nil-nil. And we failed to register a single shot on target in the first half at all. It was just a dismal display all round, really, to be honest. And it's maybe a very broad question, but I'm sure you'll have some thoughts. Where, where do you think it went wrong for us last night? Yeah, uh, broad question. Um, it wasn't very good, was it? Um, I mean, that the first half was, was very, very poor. You know, Fulham faced a team that had the bit between their teeth and, uh, they just looked off the pace. They lacked intensity, and 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 the thing that sort of stood out for me most was just lacking the same aggression, lacking lacking that bite. You know, West Brom are, are a good team. Uh, they've come out of a, a bad run of form. Obviously, Steve Bruce is, is still relatively new in the job, and they they had a, they had a point to prove. Really, they they you know against a team that was also relegated, um, and they you know and they they played like it, uh, and Fulham didn't play like the the side that we've been accustomed to this year you know they they were poor in possession they were sloppy they were slow there were poor touches there were too many errors um uh, again lacking lacking that quality and, and, and lacking uh, a real intensity and and they were out for i thought um they were out battled in, in in midfield um and to be honest i was surprised, it was quite a surprise that it was nil nil um at half time because of the chances that they created and uh, and how important marek rodak was and you know, and, and and the reasons for this performance, I know. I think the obvious one is 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 the fixtures and and the games. But you know, it's it's not like Fulham don't have a have a squad that they can use and and, and at Marco Silva's disposal. Um, you know, I think it comes down to one of those things, doesn't it? It comes down to whether it was fatigue. Could it be the fact that Fulham are where they are on the table and don't seem to have that consistent challenge and Bournemouth drop points again? Um, a bit either way, they, they've come into the game. They just clearly didn't have the same, the right mentality for it, and 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 were punished, and really should have been punished sooner before the second half. And um, yeah, one one of those games that just do, is a, is a reminder of the standards you you have to maintain. I think um, just to keep to keep to keep Fulham ticking over as we as we get closer towards that promotion. Still very much in camp when, um, but uh, no, it was not uh, an enjoyable watch, um, especially that that first half. A bit like everything that I've backed at Cheltenham so far this week, Fulham just weren't at the races. Um, and <laughs> and ultimately, that's just where it was. And look, sometimes it gets to this. You just get a, a long run of fixtures, right? And we had this before the international break in... We got had this before the international break coming into October, right? And obviously, we had that kind of build-up and the cup games and all of that. And it got to, you know, the kind of zenith i suppose of that or, or or the nadir if you will um when we lost 4-1 to coventry went away from that two weeks came back one seven eight on the spin seven on the spin i think it was then went into a little bit more of a rut of form the field fixtures started to build up we looked tired we drew four in a row and then we lost to sheffield united then we had a break and then we came off that break and we won seven of the next eight was it or six of the next seven um 
now, I think the key is that, you know, we lost that game to Huddersfield. We probably didn't deserve to lose that game, I think would be the, the kind of general opinion. Um, but we kind of came through a couple of games, the Cardiff game. I didn't think we were particularly brilliant. First half of the Swansea game, I didn't think we were particularly brilliant. We were obviously relatively poor at the weekend against Barnsley, although we should have won the game. Um, and then obviously you come to this West Brom game where Fulham just looked out on their feet and, and ultimately it's all gone. You know, it's finally got to that point where Fulham have lost the game. You're like, okay, fine. We've got a long break now. Nice little reset. Um, and, and there are issues with, with selection. There are issues with rotation. I completely agree with all of that. But ultimately, I think that's going to be fine in the context of when we have this internet, you know, this break now. Obviously, the fixtures are quite difficult on the other side of it. But Fulham coming back refreshed. Obviously, it was QPR that took the brunt of things when we came back from the last international break. We just hope that we can do the same thing again when it comes back this time around. Absolutely. I, I, at the full-time whistle, I was like, oh, at least we've got QPR after this little break and hopefully we can right <laughs> some of those wrongs. Just, just on your, your points there, Jack, I, I, I do agree with you. And, and I know it's easy with the benefit of hindsight, but how would you have lined up going into this match if you were Marco Silva? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a little bit hamstrung um, in terms of what, he, what he's doing wide. Um, we've seen Cavaleiro come on and again, played well when he came on off the bench there, I thought was probably Fulham's you know, brightest spark in the in the light in the later thirds of the game, um, but ultimately he's a little bit hamstrung in some ways in in how he he lined up because Cabano's enforced absence meant that Bobby had to play again wide. Still not completely convinced as Bobby as a winger. Um, it, it doesn't just give us the same kind of stretching ability. I don't think across the pitch that that lets people like Fabio Carvalho find those little gaps of space. Um, it, it doesn't allow us to open up those pockets for him to pick up in the half spaces just outside the box. Um, so there is that element of things. Um, look, I've seen a lot of chat about the fact that he played Chalaber and Harrison Reed as the double pivot, which is clearly a more defensively minded pivot than pretty much anyone else we've seen there, whether it be Seri, whether he's seen Kearney in there, whoever it is, is a more offensive weapon. And Fulham looked like we lacked a little bit of, you know, creativity at the base there, I think, yesterday. I do think that there's a lot of chat about this suggesting that it's kind of not working in the championship and therefore couldn't work in the Premier League. And I'm slightly anti that in terms of where we are. I actually quite relatively agree that we need a more creative player in that pivot when we're playing teams who are happy, especially at 1-0 up, to sit in against us and just defend a lead. Completely agreed. But I don't think, I think what he's trying to do is build something that's a little bit more long-term and a little bit more stable whilst looking at next season already. I have a feeling, I have a, a strange kind of, something about this. I think he's going to try and play a more defensively minded pivot next year, whether that be a three in there with those two in Kearney and play a little bit deeper in the mix there, or if we bring in another number 10 to replace Fabio Carvalho, if he leaves in the summer, um, I do think next year he's going to look to try and stiffen that because he'll look at what happened the last time Fulham went up under, well, the first time Fulham went up under Slavisa Jakanovic um, and the fact that Fulham got torn apart by trying to play the exact same style of football that had swashbuckled their way out of the, the championship. He'll look at that and go, right, that didn't work, right? He'll look at what Scott Parker did and go, okay, he tried to defend his way through a Premier League season. That also didn't work. There's a happy medium here. But mm. I do think the happy medium involves making the pivot sticky um, and, and making it more defensively minded, making it able to break up play. Yes, I agree that in a championship that's not working and, and that's fine. That's completely reasonable. I completely agreed on it. But I do think the next year when we don't have the lion's share of possession, when we are defending a bit deeper, when we are looking to break a little bit more, when we're playing a little bit more in transition, 
that Fulham might well look to be a little bit more compact in that kind of back six, if you will, if the pivot is is a two-man job. Um, and if that's the case, I think that's what he's trying to implement here, that Fulham are not as defensively open all the time because of that pivot. Now, it didn't work last night, but that's what I think he's trying to do at the very least. I think the previous two times that we've been up, obviously via the playoffs, it's just left us with no time whatsoever to have Premier Especially League Especially last time, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like a matter of weeks. So, I mean, it'd be a very, very shrewd bit of managing. If you're if you're already testing out the the strategies in which you want to implement in the Premier League in the season now, if you know, we're talking that we can't can when we go up. I mean, genuinely believe that he's testing out with the eye to the Premier League? I would say at this point, I still think we're, we're a little soon on that front. I think he's probably looked at it purely on the basis of what he's expecting from West Brom. And West Brom had three in the middle and two centre-forwards and we're going to press high. And I think he's probably thought, well, we're on the road. I need to change it. It didn't quite work with against Barnsley. We were a bit more direct, a bit more physical. West Brom were a bit more direct, a bit more physical as well, with better quality overall across the pitch. And I think that was more the thinking. I don't disagree that that's what he may end up doing uh, with Jack. I think that's... That's absolutely right. And I think when we look at next year, um, once Fulham are promoted, uh, bar, bar, some kind of catastrophe, um, you look at the like what he did at Watford and what he did at Hull, and I wouldn't even be surprised if he switches to a back three. And that that's partly why I'd be intrigued to see what happens this summer, because I don't think when we're thinking about what next year's going to look like, I'm, I'm, I would be surprised if the defence is not, it looks different um, in terms of personnel. And, and and you could even say maybe some adjustments in, in midfield as well. But I think when, when looking at that game last night, I I, I still don't think, you know, I, I, even with the, with the players that they used, I'm sure on a, on their day in, in, in better circumstances, it's enough to, 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 to play through West Brom, to play around West Brom, whether, whether there is that, you know, and I, there was a lack of creativity, but, but Fulham weren't playing out from the back particularly well at all. It, it, even moving into those thirds, even moving into the middle third, they were making too many mistakes. And once that gets into the team, it sort of becomes quite contagious. And it just felt collectively like they were just one step, one step um, behind their opponents. And, you know, and credit to West Brom because West Brom, you know, that's one of their best performances of the season by the sound of it. And, you know, at halftime, the, the fans gave them a standing ovation. Um, I thought Carl and Grant and kind of Robinson are really good up front. They made it really difficult for, for Reem and Tosin. So, um, you know, credit where it's due there and um, Fulham really didn't deserve anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I believe Steve Bruce has just reverted back to Robinson and Grant in favour of Andy Carroll because he wanted a bit more dynamism moving forward and, I mean, certainly paid dividends last night. Just quickly, Peter, I mean, you mentioned mid-match during your tweets that you were imp- very impressed by their pressing. Were there any other elements of West Brom's game that you were impressed by and do you think they have a realistic shot of making top six? They've got a tough task and I think the, the, the biggest challenge for them is just the sheer number of teams that are in front of them at this point. You know, I think I came into the game with the mindset of, isn't it strange how, you know, Fulham have done so well and by contrast to West Brom and we talked about how similar sort of West Brom and Sheffield United situations were different in terms of ownership and backstory and, and who they've appointed. But um you can see by how their respective seasons have panned out that Fulham have done very well. They picked the right manager for the right squad, which I think is is quite key. Um, we've seen that with Sheffield United. That wasn't the case with Lucy Kanovic. And then with with Valerian Ishmael, he, he wanted more changes than I think that 
ultimately came to pass. I think Daryl Dyke came in in, the, in January, but he's injured and I think wanted him in the summer and I think it was finances that meant that didn't happen. And and, and the, these things all make a big difference, whereas Fulham, Fulham Marco Silva got Harry Wilson and I think that's a, a major, major thing um, this season. Um, but in terms of what they impressed, I, I, we, we talked about how teams play with a back three and how that causes problems for Fulham. Um, Marco Silva was very... Um, consistent with the way he plays, doesn't change it from the 4 3 3. Will back his team to outplay any press and on a on a basic note Fulham just just didn't do it. Um I was impressed with Townsend on the left. Thought he caused Williams a lot of trouble um in those wide areas. I thought Robinson's movement was very good. Fulham's defensive line was not particularly um straight for want of a for better word. Um it was not particularly, it was very uneven. Um, it was exploited time and again, the gaps between Reem, Tosin and Robinson. Um, and I mean, it, but fundamentally, when you're making as many mistakes as Fulham are making, it, it allows you to, to capitalise. And that was, in de- that was down to their energy. And I, I mean, that's where the, the credit for me, that's where it lies. When you come up it, against the real CR7, um, sometimes you just got to appreciate greatness, <laughs> I think, is, is the truth of the matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the mistakes Peter and we made many mistakes and we're going to come on to the goal now which I think ultimately was a defensive mistake but I mean Jack from our sides is just just not good enough and it wasn't it's not the only opportunity that West Brom had to capitalize on mistakes to be made as well it's not the only I, I feel like highlighting it when I'm saying you know our loss was down to this one but it could have come from any manner of mistakes that we made but yeah I, it was, I, I it actually was think there are far worse mistakes we make than the actual goal um, it, it wasn't you know it's, it comes about yes it's slightly stoppy pass but it's forced because the press is really really strong um, mm. it, it's not you know it's not no one's covering themselves in glory there right not not, not Jedi who, who, who passes it to nobody um, and lets himself get closed down when he doesn't really need to I think maybe is maybe the more important thing here that just lays that ball off rather than, you know, dithering on it, then maybe the pass isn't forced and maybe Fulham can work through it. But it is it is well-pressed. Um, the slide, Then there's this kind of weird mix-up between him and Reem where Robinson goes sliding back in to try and win it and misses the ball, um, where he probably should just leave Reem to come and cover. Uh, it, it's all a bit messy, but ultimately, you know, it's also quite a good finish. So, uh, yes, it's a mistake. I, I think this the key element there is the other bit you said, that we made numerous you know, def- defensive mistakes yesterday. And you know what? We could have come out of that with a draw because Mitrovic probably should have scored. Wilson was yep. a tad unlucky. So was Fabio Carvalho. Both of their strikes from out of, you know, the edge of the box. I thought they were both a, a wee bit unlucky not to hit the target. But ultimately, you look at that and think, you know, if we could have come out of that with a draw, it would be papering over cracks because we were actually quite poor. Um, and, and that's the ultimate line we look at yesterday. You look at that performance and look, Marcus Silva said it. He said West Brom deserved the three points over the better team. Um, and he was spot on. They were. They were the, they were the better team. They forced errors. They took advantage of an error. Um, and, and those two things are linked, but they're not inextricable, right? So you can you can have a game where the opponent could force errors. You can look at something like, you know, I don't know how many people watch Manchester City versus Crystal Palace on Monday night. But Palace forced errors from City by, you know, being really aggressive uh, and ultimately they didn't take any of the chances, but it would have been no surprise if Palace had won that game 1-0. Despite the fact that, 
you know, City were excellent and had lots of chances. Palace forced errors. And I thought the same was true of West Brom. They forced us to make mistakes. What we didn't do was try and reorganize ourselves to deal with the press in any particular way. And instead, we just kept gifting them opportunities. And ultimately, they then took one. Uh, and we could have relied on Marek Rodek anymore in the first half, right? Or, or it would have been curtains. It's a shame. It is what it is. But ultimately, I'm happy to put it down to fatigue, um, lack of rotation, lack of rest and say that, you know, it's one of those from Fulham. You put your hands up and you go again. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Silver Linings, you mentioned Rodak there. I thought he had a, a sensational game and there's been lots of talk about whether he's Prem quality. And I think perhaps maybe he would have silenced a few critics last night because it was from our side of uh, certainly a man of the match performance. Um, Peter, I just want to talk to you about uh, Marco's substitute policy yesterday. So we saw TC introduced um, at half time on Saturday against Barnsley, but despite the fact we were looking very, very fatigued, we didn't see any substitutes in- introduced until gone the 70th minute. Do you think that it was the case of too little too late? Well, I mean, we saw against Barnsley with, you know, when, when things were going wrong, he made the change. He took John, John Michel Seri off and, and brought T- Tom Kearney on. And um, you, there was that expectation. I was, yeah, I was like everyone else, pretty pretty surprised that he didn't. Um, I asked Marco Silva afterwards what, what happened at halftime, why he didn't make any, any changes. He said he, he told the team that he didn't think it was good enough. He said he thought uh, they, they changed Mitrovic's position a little bit and that he was moving into wide areas for a bit too often, which was actually something that I think Scott Parker's team during his time would try to avoid with Mitrovic when he does drift into those areas because he's not particularly effective there. And I think Mitrovic only had two touches in the West Brom box last night. So um, you can see why that happened. But in terms of not making a sub, he just, he just he said didn't make them. Um didn't give any particular reason why for the delay. I, 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 I agree. I think there may have been an element of go back out there and prove a point and, and show that you're, you're better than what you are. Um, and I mean, obviously they fell behind relatively quickly after half halftime. Um, there, there was the, the reaction. And I, I think after the goal, Fulham started to play a bit better. They did push, push West Brom back. And as Jack was saying, there were chances. Mitrovic should score uh, the, the chance that he misses. Um, and and maybe it's a it's a, it's a different a different game. Um, but no, I, I mean on, on on a basic front with with the subs, I mean it was it was unusual. It was very unusual because we have seen that Silver can and does when he doesn't like something will will make the changes. Um, and it's interesting because this, the changes that were made made a difference. You know, Jack already talked about mm. Cavallero, and I thought Cavallero was very good when he came on. Started to pose some questions on that right hand right hand side. Start to make the wing back think, uh, to make Furlong think. You know, I've, I've got someone to deal with here. Um, delivered some good crosses into the box. Muniz brought energy. Tom Kearney helped retain the ball in the West Brom half. And you know, there is the element that you know West Brom was sitting off because they've got a one 0 lead against the league leaders. You know, there's that's that's down to game state. Um, that's fine. That's fine as well. Like we need to be used to that by this yeah. point. That's not. That's not anything to worry about. That's but, just, but, that's going to happen. But could those changes come sooner? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. absolutely. Mm. And uh, it was nice to see Muniz with his obligatory overhead kick attempt as well. One day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> it's, it's just, <laughs> one day. One day. Yeah. Well, uh, one, I, don't, I don't have any more to say. One day. One day. Uh, one thing Fulham did do quite well. Um, I thought, and it's probably been lost. And I've actually only really been thinking about it now. Just going back over the game was actually how they dealt with the set plays. And I know we were, we, you know, the long throws. Everyone was. I think everyone was worrying every time one of those were lumbered into the box when that pink towel was brought out and the ball was dried to within an inch of its life. But Fulham actually dealt with it pretty well, considering the fact that they're not the biggest team. 
Again, I think that's a factor why Chalaba came in because of set plays. I think that was a factor why he played against Cardiff as well. But they actually did pretty pretty well. Um, you know, they did deal with everything. And, and Rodak's command of his area was also very good too. Always like to look at the positives. I mean, we were chatting before we went live, Peter. There's there's only so many ways that you can say that we just we were just a bit shit. <laughs> so I think we're going to uh, going to knock on, knock the analysis on the head. I think Jack and Loz in their post game article uh, wrote a, a, a paragraph that resonated with me. In the context of a long and successful season, and in particular in light of Bournemouth's draw, this game doesn't much matter. But it was an unpleasant experience all the same. For the first time, it didn't feel like we were watching Marco Silva's Fulham. Slow, uncertain, outthought, outfought. The ghost of Scott Parker was haunting his old side on Tuesday night, which I thought was quite quite nice. I, was, I mean, it's important It's important to remind ourselves of, of our position and accept that the Championship is a crazy league and these results happen sometimes. Am I right? Let's just move on. Fulham yeah. is still going up. We just need eight wins from the last nine to get to 100 points now, which is actually quite tricky. <laughs> or seven, <laughs> oh. seven, seven wins and two draws, potentially, I think, is the other thing. Um, i it's quite uncomfortable but you know what we've come back off international breaks in that kind of form before so let's take it exactly. I also like Jack exactly. and Loz's use of wet clapper you know like a wet clapper to describe yeah, yeah, yeah. that was very nice Excellent. I would thoroughly recommend reading yeah. their articles if you're not familiar they, they are very good very, superbly well written Cool. Great. I think I think it's about time we move on from, from last night. Let's put it behind us. You know, Fulham is still going up. We'll be right back with part two with some listener questions and we're going to talk about one of Peter's articles. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, Thursday Club. George Cooper in for Sammy James. I'm joined by Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. Peter, yesterday you published an article in The Athletic titled How Fulham Are Keeping Their Squad Fit and focused to cope with the demands of the championship. Now, it was a fascinating read, one that I very much enjoyed. And for a finely tuned athlete such as myself, the article proves some great insight into how players keep fit. I shall be implementing some of my key learnings into my recovery following a particularly strenuous Zumba class I had this morning. And one figure who seems to be at the centre of this is Bruno Mendes. He's the club's head of performance. Now, we've spoken at length about how fatigue cost us last night. And what steps will Bruno and his team be taking to ensure that we're back to winning ways at QPR in April? Yeah, it's great timing, wasn't it? Great timing to do a piece and say, I fit and firing and then, you know, just have the damp squib of that first half afterwards. But but um, it is interesting because what one element of this season has been, one, obviously the chaos with the fixtures. You know, it's a championship for one thing, but the fact that there's been postponements means there will be a lot more Saturday, Tuesdays than would be normally. So, you know, Fulham have had tight Januarys and, and Februarys, April's eight games, isn't it? Eight of the remaining nine in, in that time. Um, but also they, they've generally not had any major injuries. Um, they've been a few mm. slight slight issues. We've obviously got Nathan Cabano out at the moment. Nathaniel Chalaba had a slow start. Um, even Cavalero also had that, that, that groin issue as well. Um, but we've seen Tom Kearney come back too. And, and with Marco Silva not rotating so much as we have seen and have discussed, um, keeping those players, keeping them going over across the course of the season has been pretty important. Um, and yeah, no, Bruno Mendes has been at the heart of it. You know, he he joined Marco Silva um, at Everton from Benfica, spent 17 years at Benfica, um, set up and oversaw the creation of Benfica Lab, which is sort of a data-driven approach to um, maximising um, player performance and and preventing injuries really 
And so he's taken that learning and, and has brought it to Fulham as well. Um, and in the piece, I sort of delve into how they've sort of done that, how they were sort of dealing with what sort of challenges would come up with a, a week where you've got three free, uh, free games in seven days when you're on the road, how travel sort of affects it. And then also what kind of little bits that, that Fulham do and data again is, is a key part of, of, of how they assess it. Um, and that really does come from, from Mendez's sort of background really. And, you know, there's a, there's a big sports science, sports science team and medical side, medical team. Um, but Mendez is sort of that link, you know, he's the link between silver on the technical staff and, and the medical staff and, um, trying to, to to find that bridge where you can keep players going um and he looks at all sorts of ways of collecting that data from sleep um nutrition i mean they, they use questionnaires i think they do blood tests as well um it's very much a holistic thing that they use and um no and it's uh it, it has made it has made a difference um and um you know he, he's someone who is highly reputable and um never really quite managed to to have the same same impact, I think at Everton, I think there was over that period of time. But to see to see how it's sort of been uh, applied to the championship has been uh, has been interesting this season as well. Yeah, I find it fascinating, especially with it being such a strenuous league, and the fact that we have been very lucky, such words with injuries, minus a few little um, spells on the sideline for a, a few players. We've, I mean, you look at the likes of Bielsa's leads; like his downfall was ultimately due in part to you know injuries and I I guess as a football fan I'd always taken injuries as just luck of the draw you know sometimes teams get picked up you know it's just you know football's a lottery but it blows my mind to think that you know the the data and the methods that Bruno's team are putting in could potentially have kept many players off off the sidelines with injuries and, and yeah I mean he's he's by and large behind the scenes but I mean how important in terms of impact do you feel he's been for the club this season Peter? Yeah really important he's a key part of Marco Silva's side and you know there is there is luck you know there are of course with injuries you know with impact injuries some things can happen that aren't picked up it's it, there are loads of different variables in, in what people do in their day-to-day away from football you know all, all, all play all plays a part but no he's he, he's, he's been a key part of, of Marco Silva's staff since since 2018 and and I think we we, are, we have seen some of the results of that this season um, using the tools that he's sort of honed before while at Benfica using data so tracking players um, their match loads out how far they they've been running tailoring their, their their workloads to to what are their own limits their own injury histories and, and things like that so um, it all makes a difference and it's not out of the ordinary I think it, you know especially at this at the top level you need to be you need to be at the forefront of the thinking and I think what's what's so interesting with, with Mendes is that data approach trying to gain as much information as you can trying to encourage players to change habits you know habits are the the main thing um, positive ones whether that be just not using your phones before bed or something like that um, to, to to build a culture where you, you are <laughs> taking every every opportunity you know taking every possible way in which you can improve performance and um, no and, and 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 you know there's no there's no doubt that Mendes and, and uh, as part of Silver Staff has, has been important you look at 
you know, what someone like Liverpool have done in terms of energy, uh, injuries over the last couple of years and, and the way that the whole structure interlinks. And now whether that, you know, I, I'd like to see something similar, you know, at Fulham over the whole course of things. And you look at the way that Liverpool's structure works top to bottom and the way that all of it meshes together is is incredible. And, and what they're running there, you know, up at Kirby is, is exceptional. But I, I think this is kind of small parts of that. Um, and, and you're seeing that, that link between sports science departments and those on the pitch. And actually, that's what you get from a progressive manager in so many ways, right? You look at some teams and, and some players who, who have reverted to to type. And, and, and this is something that's worth pointing out, I think, in terms of a long term. Now, we don't know if in six months time, okay, maybe 10 months time, Marcus Silva will be in charge of this football club because we know what the Premier League is like. We know that the clubs get trigger happy when you go down the bottom and we know that Fulham have done it before. Now, I hope he is if things are going well. Um, that's how life works. But ultimately, you can't always promise that. But if you do that, then what you have to look at is who you bring in either as a long-term successor, if Marcus Silva goes elsewhere, um, and, and look, after what he's produced this season at Fulham, you can imagine he's a man in, de- in demand, not least from Benfica, who don't have a permanent coach. Um, and I'm sure, you know, talking of the Benfica lab, they'd love Marcus Silva, and, well, and mostly Bruno Mensch, as you say, back in helping them, considering the run of titles they went on when that Benfica lab was implemented and when it was, when it was put through. But I do think it's important that, you know, Fulham, one, look at this as a sustainable model. And two, even long-term thinking, even if it does come to a point where, you know, this management team and management staff are not in charge anymore. Um, and, you know, if things keep going well, let's hope that's not for many years. Um, and it's not, you know, something that we're, we're looking at in the immediate future. But it is about building something that then you go, okay, the next manager also has to fit into this model. That Fulham are building things that are interlinked, that are progressive, that manage to use science and use sports science in the capacity at which it's used because you look at someone like TC right who's had a really difficult couple of campaigns in terms of injuries his workload has been so managed right and we've seen TC used maybe more sparingly than we would have liked in terms of his effect on the pitch but actually in terms of how he is and how he's playing and when he's fit and when he's at full throttle that's a more useful Tom Kearney to have about than it is to have him at 60% because he's worried about getting injured because he's worried that he's playing too many games. Now, again, we'd like to see him more. Of course we would. He's the captain. He's a skipper for so long. He's been, you know, the the creative heartbeat of this side. But, you know, if that means that we get to see him a little bit less regularly, but at more of a capacity that he's able to influence games, that's an amazing thing. And that's the way that you can make these two departments interlink. And I think it's just an important thing that that Fulham look at as a long-term thing, as much as a, a one that's affecting us this season. Absolutely. And yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant article. Head over onto The Athletic to find it. It's, um, it's your second most recent, I think, Peter. But it's, I was just astounded by the level of detail. And you know that, you know, the top level of football is to be expected now with the data crunching and whatnot. But yeah, it's the, the routine that really that really struck me. But yeah, do do check it out. And it seems silly to preview QPR when it's so far ahead. But oh, yeah. um, secure, <laughs> secure my tickets, lower end. Jack, surely it's one of the best. Surely it's one of the best fixtures of the season. I love it. I'm, I'm look. There are plenty of people that tell you that who are listening to this that tell you that a 600 mile trip to Middlesbrough is much better than than get down the road to QPR. <laughs> and I can completely understand. I can completely understand where those people are coming from because it doesn't have the it doesn't have the train journey that appeal of going somewhere mad, going somewhere different. There is you lose that. But yeah, I mean, I love a derby. 
Um, they're among my favorite things in the world. And I think that uh, an inner city derby as opposed to a cross city derby is something quite special. And I think there's a relatively interesting relationship between Fulham and QPR. Obviously, we've had the better of our meetings with them over the last couple of years. So it's quite good when you get into a, a game of QBR because you're like, oh, we actually have the, his- the historical kind of best yeah. of this one. Um, but also there's this kind of sense that I think that the two clubs for a long time traded places as the kind of, if you look at you know West London football as a pyramid, as a diamond, if you will. Chelsea have been at the top of that tree for so long. Um, you know, maybe maybe not for much longer. We'll see. But, uh, you know, for the vast majority potentially the entirety to be honest of my lifetime Chelsea have been the dominant club in West London and then Mm. us and QPR have sort of traded places through my lifetime um with us cutting out probably the better of that in the kind of in the century that we're in Um, and then Brentford was at the bottom of it and obviously they're now in the Premier League so there has been this kind of sense of maybe equity I I, I don't know if that's the right word or at least there's a, a sense that they're a rival worth having if that makes yeah. sense to you like there's there's a kind of sense that the two clubs are not million miles off the same planes in terms of you know support in terms of where the club has been over the last couple of years that's I think what I'm trying to get at and, and then therefore to have that rivalry and have it in your own backyard and have it on the same day as Brentford Chelsea as well by the way yeah that's, that's that is ridiculous isn't it <laughs> absolutely chaos although Brentford won't be able to go will they so it's only three sets oh. of fans Descending on, descending on. Well, uh, about a, it's about a mile radius, isn't it? <laughs> um, state but, of that club at the minute. Um, so yeah, it, it is one of those. But but I'm I'm excited for it. I've, I've got my tickets as well. Um, this week, me and my brother. So, um, very very excited about about this one and and going down to Loftus Road. There's some really good pubs on the way. Also, I live on the Oxbridge Road, right? Like, so. I literally can get the bus to and from QPR and I can get on and off the bus at various pubs on the way to QPR and it being a three o'clock kickoff. It's just all great, isn't it? Like I could just what bop my way down from, yeah. from Ealing cause sort of slowly going into most pubs on the way and, and having a few drinks on the way to Loftus Road. That's perfect for me. Absolutely. And I know there, there'll be listeners and fans that will disagree, but um, I, I consider them to be the, the rivalry that I care most about. And I, I think that's due to the, the games in recent years have been some of the most enjoyable Fulham games I've been to. You know, when we beat them 6-0 at home, Andy Johnson hat-trick, Pavel Pogragniak 1-0 away at Loftus Road. There's just like Chris, some really, Chris really... Martin scoring at Loftus Road scenes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Steph Johansson. Uh, you know, there's been some fantastic moments and very much looking forward to it. And the atmosphere is always absolutely rocking as well. And I'm sure it will be come April the 2nd. Right. That's it for part two. It's time. It's everybody's favourite time of the week. It is. This will catch on coming up next after a few emails. We'll be right back. It's the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. Ooh. Got a couple of emails. I'm going to throw this one to you, Jack. Um, this one is on the subject of being a yo-yo club. So this is from Will Guaponi. Dear crew, thanks for all your great work in putting together the podcast. It's great to hear other Fulham fans' glory in the highs and commiserate in the lows of Fulham Football Club. I'm interested in your thoughts in which club's last five seasons, performances only, ignoring off-the-pitch factors, would you rather have as a fan? 
So the first club he's highlighted is, is Newcastle. 44 points, 45 points, 44 points, 45 points. Project to about 40 points. This is in the Premier League. Crystal Palace, 44 points, 49 points, 43 points, 44 points. Project to about 46 points. Or Fulham, promoted in the playoffs, relegated on 26 points. Promoted in the playoffs, relegated on 28 points. Promoted and maybe champions. Maybe. For me, it would be Fulham's last five seasons. Sure, the relegation seasons are miserable, but the joy of the promotion seasons is so much greater than the relief of surviving relegation. Is being a yo-yo club actually preferable to being a solidly 12th to 14th place Premier League club? Thanks, Will. And it's the age-old debate, but I'm really, really interested. I want to hear both of your thoughts on it. Let's, let's, start, let's start with you, Jack. Out of the teams that we've just highlighted, whose who's previous five seasons would you take? The problem is, right, the, the, there's lots of this that you look at and go, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Like, I imagine a couple of weeks or a couple of seasons ago, maybe even last season, Palace fans were looking at Fulham and going, that looks fun. We haven't had that in a while. That looks fun. And Peter, there was a piece on this at the end of last year, wasn't there? At the yeah, Athletic, yeah. where we talked about lots of different things. And we spoke to, you know, I spoke to them about about this and, and what it means. And I think you kind of crave what you don't have in so many ways. Fulham, I think it's easy to forget. Obviously, the last five seasons, actually, you know, yes, the relegation seasons were bad, but these seasons that we've gone up, the playoff two seasons, amazing. And this season has been incredible. So there are loads of highs. But you forget that like before that, there was like two seasons of championship absolute dross where like one, yeah. we nearly got relegated um, and it was really grim and horrible. And actually it, it wasn't fun at all, frankly. So like there is that element of when you go down first time, it's actually rubbish. It's really crap. And 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 look, then you you start to you know you take away all the noise from other fans, being like, "Oh, Fulham can't do it in the Premier League. Fulham love it in the Championship." Like, hey, shut up. Um, but like ultimately, you, you <laughs> get to those points. And yes, we've had some incredible highs. But Crystal Palace are projecting, as you say, with they've brought in a manager now in Patrick Vieira, who's brought in some youth. They've brought in some incredible talents in the likes of Barrietse and Michael Elise. Looking at signing Conor Gallagher to a permanent deal, whether that goes through or not, I don't know. But all of these things that you know they're bringing in and, and starting to form a young core and go again and, and and try and push themselves up into a top ten finish, see progress. We've seen from Newcastle, yeah, four seasons of dross, and I wouldn't want to be a Newcastle fan right now because I don't I don't think I'd want to grapple with the the moral com- comprehensions of what their ownership is about. Yeah. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have those elements. So I would struggle with that right now. Um, but would I rather be Fulham with the last five seasons or Palace where they are right now? I think I'd like Fulham to be Palace. I'd like us to I'd like us to have had those stable seasons. We talk so much about those players in the youth teams who never got an opportunity, who never got those moments. If you're a stable 12th Premier League club, those players go through. Matt O'Reilly is playing centre midfield for, for Fulham in the Premier League. Um, th- those players who have not had the opportunities and are feeling like they need to leave, I think there's a much better way of getting them into the team, getting them stable and getting them comfortable in the Premier League if you are a 12th to 14th or 10th to 14th Premier League club every season. So I'd go for the stability right now, I think. Crystal much Pal- as the highs have been amazing. Crystal Palace are the great example of that. Even the specific point on the academy. I mean, the progress they've made with their academy and it's it, in recent years, in terms of the quality of players they're bringing through, the consistency with which they're doing so, is certainly tied to the stability that they've had in 
in the Premier League. And, you know, when you speak to people around the academy, you know, this is the important thing. It is, it is that's having that stability. Now, like, I think Jack covered it really well because the, the, the seasons that are referred to, Palace in the last few years, Newcastle in the last few years have been horrible to watch for a supporter. And it just, it depends on how they're playing. Like, obviously I covered Bournemouth um, two years ago now um, and at the end of Eddie Howe's time there. But when they were promoted, they still played really attacking football and then everyone would go oh yeah but they can see loads of gold but they were entertaining you know they would get the odd mm. shock result they would stay up they'd be mid-table but it was enjoyable for the supporters and it is that's where spectacle probably comes in a lot more um when you're in in a league where it's going to be hard and maybe one one season it's going to go well for you and you're going to push into those higher places and and you get the the europa league shot or, or anything like that increasingly hard in the premier league now increasingly hard to do that but if you're able to to play in a way that is still entertaining, that still gives something for for supporters to get behind, you know that 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 is enjoyable. And you're playing the best. You're seeing a higher quality in front of you. So that that's that's much more of a factor. And I think you'd rather that you you would certainly rather have a yo-yo than than have to sit and watch relatively stale, turgid football that just about gets you over the line year on year because it's just there's nothing really to buy into. You know, um, if, there, if there are young players coming in, then you've got something to buy into. And I think that's what we sort of talked about last year when we when we talked about this topic. You, ha- you have to have something to buy into. I was just having a look at, just looking back on, I think, Norwich's promotion read last year and looking at what some of the fans were were, were commenting on uh, on The Athletic. And they're pretty, pretty content with how they are. You know, they're happy with the way their ownership model is. They're happy with the way they're funded. They enjoy the positivity that comes with getting promoted and seeing some of the, the younger players do quite well. And they're content to be in the Premier League, but no, it's difficult. They know they, you know, they they hope they get the odd good result, but it, there's something for them to buy into. They've bought into the model. And when you buy into something, whether it's playing style, academy players coming through, or lofty ambition, or, or just excitement, then then it then it's you know that's that's what football's about, really. You, you want something to cling to, something to give you that identity, I suppose. Something you can yeah, be proud like, of, and it is important what other people think. And I know, I know, we want you want to you, you want to just say, oh, it's, it's other people's fans don't matter. But you, you want something to be, to, to, you know, if you're with rival supporters down the pub, you want to say that we're doing this really well. You know, we're having this and and getting promoted the way they Fulham are this season is one of those things. You know, it's having something to buy into. Very, very well put, Peter. I can't. I've got nothing, nothing to add on that matter. I completely agree. You want you want your club to be a well-run football club. That you know does good for the community and provides some moments of joy. Yeah, it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that like football clubs are community institutions. Mm, You should never ever forget that. Um, and and the light, you know, in light of what's happened in recent days down the road at Chelsea, I think it's important to just remember that. Yeah, too right, too right. Right, one more email before this will catch on. This is from John Witham. Short and snappy. This one. Hi guys, Nico Williams has endeared himself to the Fulham faithful quite quickly, causing a certain Fulhamish host to pine over lone loves lost. Ariola, Anderson, and Target were named in his post. I'm wondering who else in Fulham history has left us similarly lovesick. I remember Lewis Holtby and William Quist. 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 <laughs> I don't think it was William Quist. I guarantee it wasn't William Quist's cameo that really left me homesick. I'll be honest. <sighs> were hailed for their efforts to lift the ultimately doomed 2014 team. But no one sending in, no one sending in a this will catch on called Quist by a Rose. God, why can't I pronounce oh, that? Quist by a Rose is exceptional. <laughs> Which would be very good. Are there any other loanies worthy of thinking about while looking out a window on a rainy day? Oh, yeah. Cheers, John. 
Vincenzo from Montella. From still the only Fulham supporter in Oregon City, Oregon. Sorry, Jack, what were you saying? Vincenzo Montella. Vincenzo Montella. Is he uh, your favourite? I think I must have been about, oh, I don't know how old I was <laughs> when he came to Fulham. I must have been about 15, 16, maybe, that kind of age. And I remember Montella fire, like, bursting onto the scene like a firecracker. I was like, there's this little, there's this little Italian doing aeroplane celebrations, scoring hat tricks against Leicester in the cup. I was having the time of my life. I loved it. And I, cause I loved him at Roma beforehand and he came to Fulham and I was like, what are you doing at Fulham? <laughs> Why are you here? Mm, I remember him being part of that team with like Totti and Batistuta and being like, ah, oh, this is amazing. So yeah, Vincenzo Montella. Um, very no, good shout. I can't, no, I, I must've been younger than that. Um, um, I mean, it's a very good shout. I'd forgotten about him until until we just. He was the him. one I, that really took my heart. Mine's slightly controversial, as it was a Chelsea loan. But don't worry, I'm not going to say who you think I am. Uh, Gail Kakuta, I, I love when this he too. Came, Amazing. He was he was re- You could tell he was a quality player, and he had that flair, the trickery. He was um, yeah, he really he could brighten up the dullest of games. I thought he had a, he had magic feet. Obviously, um, Ryan Babel. Yeah, I never really was fell in love with Babel. Was it a free or was it a loan? I think like? it was, I can't remember. I think it was a loan from Galatasaray, was he at? It was at some Turkish club, I believe. Yeah. Or it might have been a one-year one contract. But he was brilliant and he was another bright spark in what was a very turgid season. But I Lucas don't know whether Piaz- I... Lucas Piazon's first season. Yeah, Piazon. Uh, very good that. shout. Loved that one. He um, loved Fulham as well, you could tell. Well, he did. He's also moved to uh, Botafogo in um, Brazil now. Um, so he's playing black in back in black and white, um, which I think is a is a nice touch. Who else came in? Sasha Reitha was a loanee, wasn't he? He was good. Yeah, he was Sasha fantastic was actually. Sasha Reitha was very good. Um, yeah, I loved him. Yeah, yeah there's probably. plenty. If you if any more spring to mind, do get in get in touch on the uh, comments of this podcast when it goes out. We'd love to hear. You know, love love stories lost. of loans. Yeah, love and right. loans lost. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, very nice. Got a ring to it. Right, this will catch on. Everybody's favourite time of the week. I'm delighted to be back on the buttons. First one, we have one from Russell Walker. Direct, to the point. It's no music for this one. He's just sent the lyrics. So I'm going to do my best to uh, to perform it for Go you on, both son. now. So the, I love the email. It's very simple. It's just worth a shout for simplicity. A little bit of Nico on our side. <laughs> a little bit of Nico on our right. A little bit of Nico in attack. A little bit of Nico at, at the, the back. back. And then it just says, repeat until bored, Russ. <laughs> I mean, I think there might need to be a closing line, but on the whole, like, I I like it. I like it. It's good. Cool. It's fun. Is it going to catch on? I don't know. No, it no. It needs more depth. I'm going to go, it needs more. It needs yeah. more okay. before we, we catch on. But I, I do appreciate the, appreciate the, the movement. Right, next one. So yeah, Russ, the, the feedback is back to the drawing board, a few more lines and we, and yeah, we can more be lines. talking. More lines, Russ. Thank you, Russ. Right, next is from Elizabeth Barnard, friend of the pod. Hi, gang. I've long thought the Neeskins deserved a song to the excellent hit Copacabana by Barry Manilow. <laughs> and with an essay deadline looming, I thought now was the perfect time to dedicate a day in the library to writing one. Obligatory apologies for the singing, of course, but I reckon trying is what counts. A lot of love for the podcast and the Telegram community it always makes me smile. Elizabeth. P.S. This was recorded in half time of the Swansea game. So if the goal number is incorrect, I can only apologise. So she sent in a, um, a recording. So here we go. This is Elizabeth Barnard. 
His name is Neeskins. He's from the Congo. Number seven on his back. Your defenders, he'll hijack. He whips the ball in and does the cha-cha. With nine goals so far, engraving the Ballon d'Or and the crosses saw, increasing the score. With Harry Wilson Mitro, who could ask for more? And it's Neeskins, Neeskins Cabano. Winger scoring goals for Marco. And his Neeskins, Neeskins Cabano, crossing on the head of Metro. Oh, it's incredibly well worked. Um, I like the <laughs> line about engraving the Ballon d'Or, personally. Fantastic. Um, and also nine goals currently scored, I believe, was the... Uh, Unbelievable. Which, which, which obviously dates the, dates the song somewhat. It does in some ways. I, I like, <laughs> it's not going to catch on. I enjoyed all of it. It's really worked, but it's not catching on, I'm afraid. It's way too complicated. <laughs> but it was, it was good. It was very good. So, shout out, Elizabeth. Yeah, shout out Elizabeth. Thank you very much for sending that one in. Very, very enjoyable. Right, these ones are particularly special. This is from Georgie Brooke. He says, hello, greetings from Sydney, Australia. I'm an expat, clearly frustrated at my limited chances these days to sing at the Hammersmith end. I've attached three songs. They're all quite short, a few lines. And I'm sure you'll agree, will we'll almost certainly catch on. Despite the obvious drawback of them being brought into the world using the medium of my awful singing voice, the, my tones are more dull than dulcet at the best of times. But today, however, it's been strained further by the fact that these come to you from my COVID sickbed. Oh, Whilst no. the vocals are made worse by my illness, I can thank the inspiration to the boredom and delirium of being stuck in my bed for three days. So that's the setup. <laughs> you, can, you get a real idea into the state of mind of Georgie going in, going into this. So, um, so yeah, and hats off. Hope you hope you're feeling better now, Georgie. Of course. So this. First First one is to Wham's Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. Okay, so I'm just going to rattle these ones off. <laughs> we got Reed, Saria, Mitro. Who needs Sterling when we've got Cabano? Oh, there you go. So that was the first one. Very so I'll, good. I'll play. I'll play all three, and then we can we can dissect, and you can tell me which one's your favourite. So second one, he says, I apologise if this is an existing chant. It seems just so obvious to me, but it's hi ho silver lining. Okay, to yeah. for Marco Silva. And it's Marco Silva's Fulham, and away we go now, baby. That's it. <laughs> That's so succinct. <laughs> Yeah, and then this is the third one. Yeah, yeah. And then there's literally one line. And then this is the best one. This is amazing. So this is the pinnacle, the summit of my lyrical genius to Katy Perry's Raw. We've got Nathaniel Chaloba, BDR, Tosin, Adibai, or a Mitro's a champion, and you're gonna see him score. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I, I really would, I really want that song to catch on at some point because I once wrote a song for John Dager Thorn Steinson. Um, who who Fulham used to have as a youngster? Um, what to Katy Perry's Raw? Yeah, it was like we've got John Dager, Thornsteinson, the Iceman. He's slicing through your backline. He's Fulham till he dies, and we're gonna see him score. Oh 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 oh! 
which I was really proud of, but he literally never played a senior game. So like, you're like, well, he's not Fulham till he dies because he's like bopped off to AIK or something. So um, <laughs> unfortunately, never really got to that one. Either. But I do want a song to that tune to catch on. It's unfortunately not going to be that one though. So <laughs> sorry, Georgie, mate. So Georgie, thank you so much for sending those in. Very enjoyable. Peter, which was your favourite of the three? Uh, the the middle one, I think. Uh, I'm not sure it was that. No, one. I, to be fair, I did like the sort of amalgamation of all the players' names as one word in the, in the Kate Perry song. So <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, let's go police. With that. Syllable police coming out. John Dagerthorn stands has got two goals and 16 appearances for Iceland. We should sign him back up. Right, back back to the task at hand, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Georgie, for sending those in. Michael Wheeler's up next. Hello. Here is a good song. So you didn't say a good song. Hello. <laughs> Here is a good song to complete with all the rest of your nonsense. Hello. Here is a song about Mitro to the tune of Band of Gold by Frida Payne. Briefly considering doing the entire song, but it got really tricky, hence the stopping quite abruptly. So listen, listen to this. He, he sort of talks his way into this as if he's a kind of like 90s radio DJ and then stops just without warning. But yeah, but are you ready for this? <laughs> Let's do it. All right, here we go. It's a song about <laughs> Mikro scoring hat tricks. Flemish podcast. This will catch on. Yes. <laughs> now that he scored... All he wants is another goal. Metro's end in the dreams you hold with another goal. And the Hammersmith will love to see the table once he makes it three. He took me from the pain of relegation playing Parker Ball. Alright, so we got. Cheers, boys. <laughs> I was having the best time. <laughs> it's like he goes in with so much enthusiasm and a great voice that he's so thought through it. Then half of it, like, yeah, that's all I got. Sorry, lads, mic drop. Off. It's like a drunk person at a wedding, <laughs> like doing karaoke, and then be like, don't know any more of us. <laughs> <laughs> It was so good. Please yeah, write wicked. the end of that. That's amazing. Michael, finish it. Michael, send finish in the it. full recording, and then and then we'll. It, but it's got legs to catch on. Let me tell you, that is it's fantastic. Absolutely right. I've saved the best till last, gents. So we got we got two more. This one, really, no context at all from Ben Walbrun. Sorry for the resubmit, fellas. I noticed I messed up in my first recording. Bit of nerves. No other context. Okay, and then this is this is what was sent in. Brace yourself. Fabio. Fabio. No. No. <laughs> England's future Ballon d'Or. Fab. We say 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 fab. This, is, this has got to stop. <laughs> it goes on for so England's much longer. future Ballon d'Or. Runs we've gone from defenders like we've gone from Lamey's. England's future Ballon d'Or. It's just it's just it's got to stop. Defenses like a trained marksman. England's oh future Ballon d'Or. Bang one in your full of man. Oh my god! Go this has got to stop. This has got to stop. Please, Ballon please. Bang one in you full of man, we wanna go bananas. England's future Ballon d'Or. 
He scores left foot, right foot, <laughs> headers for home. England's future Ballon d'Or scores left foot, right foot, headers for fun. I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. Ballon d'Or. Honestly, Fabio, I don't. Fabio, England's future Ballon d'Or. Right, one is one is one is Portuguese. Let's 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 clear this up. Portuguese. Just when you think is when you think it's over, it just it just carries on. I didn't think we'd be having. Harry, I just didn't think we'd be having Harry Belafonte covers. Oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes cross the Rubicon at this point. I, I think we're we're in the end game now. Yeah. We're in the end game now. This Absolutely. Is, we might have stopped this segment. I really made me laugh. If I ever considered a career in musical theatre, Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, look some credit. Gorgeous voice. Gorgeous <laughs> oh, voice. Oh, incredible. And really well worked in terms of the actual lyrics. But I'm just not sure anyone can be covering Deo by Harry Belafonte. <laughs> I think it might we need, to, we need to not be a thing. This one... Is I've saved the best for last. This one is genuinely fantastic. So this is from Max Carlson. Hi, felt it was that felt there was a lack of Marco Silva Bermorte songs here. So I was born in the town of Vastavik, where a certain Bjorn Olvios for the first time saw the light of day. So maybe it gives me some provenance to do this song. Come on, you wise. <laughs> He's from ABBA. So oh, it's another right, ABBA okay, fine, Here we go. And we're ending on this one, I promise. And this has gone on for quite a while. But this, <laughs> this one is genuinely special. All time. <laughs> right. This is from Matt. Nice. Marco Silva, here we go again. <laughs> By your side is for Morte. Marco Silva, it really shows again. My, my, no one can resist you. Yeah, we've been broken hearted. Blue until Scott departed. Marco, we I mean, again, gorgeous voice, but <laughs> I don't. Know. Oh, that I was don't know superb. What to say anymore? <laughs> that is a. I mean, that is the number one single right there, boys. It's beautiful. Um, it's beautifully sung. I like the really hard rolled R on Morte. Um, <laughs> I've had this conversation on here slightly before, but like, I was trying to have a conversation with with Lucy's dad, who's Portuguese, about Louis Bo, and um, I was like, "Oh, Louis Bo Morte," and he was like, "Who?" And I was like, you know, Louis Bermorte played on the wing for Portugal, like has numerous caps. And he was like, oh, Luis Bermorte. And I was like, yeah, Louis Bermorte. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, we're really fun. It's Beautiful Death, yeah. Yeah. Is it Beautiful Death? Yeah. I thought it was something to do with the snake, wasn't it? I don't, I, I, depending on the No, language. that's just comes many from, that just comes from Boa, which obviously is that Boa constrictor. Snake so, so it was dead. No, 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 no. So Boa means Boa means beautiful. So like Boa Vista, the club means beautiful view. 
Um, mm. It's because the street that they're based on, where they're ground the better is, is the Avenida de Boavista. And yeah, but so it means beautiful death. But then basically people just got, started calling him the dead snake because the it, boa on its own is used in a snaky context, isn't it? And then mm. means death. So there was dead snake and then he became snake. So yeah, there you go. A little bit of history, language lesson for you, Coops. Fantastic. Uh, Matt's absolutely incredible effort. Well done. I thought that was superb. Yeah, exquisite. It, but exquisite. Superb. And a beautiful enter ends this podcast on. All this left Super to death. do is, is, uh, is, is thank my, my panellist, Ms. Pizza Russell. Thank you very much. No, thank you, George. Excellent work. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and thank you, Jack. And before you sign off, Jack, would you mind naming the pod, please? What are you going to go oh, for? Yeah. I'm just going to go with Sean Bird. It's International Welcome Break. I thought that was that was nice vibes. I had a had a good had a good time. Um, so, so that was it. I think that's that's the overwhelming sentiment for me. Um, but thank you, George. Thank you for having us. Thank you for hosting. Um, it's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah, certainly as as always. And uh, yeah, we've got a few weeks off now before the QPR game. But don't worry, we'll be back with some. Some treats, let me tell you. It's not going to be your conventional um, pods, but we've we've got some very very good. Uh, we've got some good content lined up, so so do keep your eyes and ears peeled. And of course, further details for our live podcast event, which will be following the Coventry game, um, will will be available soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that too. But yeah, thanks very much. Stay safe. See you soon. Coming you guys. <laughs>